Little Red Corvette, Prince's breakthrough song, is what we're going to be talking about today. And joining me, I have once again, Zachary Hoskins. Hi, Zach. Hey. Welcome back to the podcast. Um, we seem to touch base on a lot of Prince's more risque tracks. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this just seems to be our thing, I guess. Yeah. And this is kind of, this kind of fits that category. Um, although this was at least uh, like unrisque enough to get played on the radio a lot. Uh, there's the, they're more, they're more double entendres than single entendres this time. Yeah. Right. Yeah, for sure. And you're right. This song, obviously, because it's Little Red Corvette, and it was Prince's first top 10 hit. So it clearly wasn't too risque to become uh, a pop radio staple in 83. And actually, you know, from then on, for all of time, until they stopped playing this song, this is right. going to be one of Prince's most uh, most well-known and most played songs on any radio station that plays 80s hits or, you know, quote unquote oldies, things of that nature. Yeah. You know, they talk about Prince's biggest and most memorable songs. Little Red Corvette inevitably is uh, always cited as one of those for good reason. It's it's a brilliant track. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, this is this is the one of the songs, you know, if I'm encountering a Prince song in the wild, it's going to be uh purple rain or let's go crazy or, or you know raspberry beret uh kiss or this song that's basically that's basically the list like if i'm gonna just hear it come on the radio um i was actually i was in a i was in a lift uh a, a week or two ago for work and little red corvette came on and it was it was weird because uh you know i'm in and as i'm sure you are too i'm in prince lands all the time uh you know working on we're working on a project, thinking about his music, writing about his music, and it felt strange, like just being out, you know, uh, during the workday. And it's like, oh my god, there's Little Red Corvette. Is and it's like, you know, you have to, you have to keep it, you have to repress it a little bit because you don't want it, nobody else is as excited as you are <laughs> to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> Not usually. Yeah, Not usually. but. It was a, it was just kind of a, it was a, it was a cool little moment. And, um, and like I said, Little Red Corvette is one of those, is one of the few songs that that is going to happen to, at least, at least where I am. Every once in a while when I'm out in the, in the wild as well, and I hear a Prince song come on the radio or, you know, on the speakers or over, over the loudspeakers or whatever, there are a few people you, you see, um, uh, lip syncing along with the, <laughs> with the track and then, you know, oh, okay, well that person obviously is a, at least a fan of this song, if nothing else. Right. Right. They know the words. Right. But I mean, the cool thing about little red Corvette, and I mean, really, I'm, I, my, my taste in Prince is I'm, I'm not one of those fans that, you know, can't stand the hits. Like I think a lot of his hits are hits for a reason, <laughs> you know, uh-huh. um, but little red Corvette is probably it's, it's both kind of a, a top 10 print song in, in terms of popularity. And it's probably in my top 10, um, personal favorites. It's just, it's a great, it's a great track. And it really just shows so much about, uh, his developing skill as a, as a songwriter, um, both in terms of, you know, obviously the melody is very memorable and then I think these are some of his kind of most evocative lyrics. Um, and it's just 
kind of incredible to put it in perspective when you realize he was what like 23 24 when when this um when this song came out and um you know how amazing he was already as a as a songwriter and as a singer you know this has a really fantastic vocal performance as well yes it does for sure and it's one of his most enduring songs like you cited for a number of reasons the lyrical content while it does um straddle that that line it never really crosses over that line it doesn't go overboard like you know head or jack you off or sister so it 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 stays on the right side of being radio friendly but it comes really close yeah a couple of times (laughs) to to not to and and also you know it but it's clever enough that it's not going to be picked i mean i know people who to this day still don't know what this song is about because they never really thought of it that deeply right and if you're not thinking of it that deeply it doesn't exactly spell it out overtly in a way that some of those tracks that i already mentioned do so or even a song later like sexy mf i mean that's not a dirty song i mean it has a lot of swear words in it but it's not it's not sexual necessarily except maybe a few lines here and there but this song is enduring for a reason and if you're asking me if it's one of my favorite print songs the answer is uh unequivocally yes it is top three for me i would say oh yeah <laughs> depending on the day it could be number one right um it certainly was my first introduction to prince and his music this was the song along with 1999 that i um became aware of him. i don't know which one was first i mean i know which one was released first but i don't know which one i became aware of first my yeah. guess is probably little red corvette because it was the first hit of the two 1999 was it, i mean it became a hit again after the right. release of the red corvette so i my guess is that the pop radio stations that i was listening to as a kid didn't play 1999 much in its first go around and it got it became i became aware of it through radio play through my sister buying you know the the seven inch the 45 after mm-hmm. little red corvette's success but i was pretty young so i don't have you know i i'm not going to be able to say uh, absolutely, with 100% certainty, that Little Red Corvette was the first Prince song I ever heard, but chances are very good it was. Right. But that's an interesting thing about this song. I'm, I mean, I'm sure you probably talk about this when you um, when you recorded 1999, but Little Red Corvette was such a big hit that, uh, you know, 1999 came out and it was kind of, you know, it was fine. It performed fine, like probably roughly on par with... Prince's earlier stuff, maybe maybe a little bit better, but not um, up to the expectations. You know, he wanted 1999 to be like his breakthrough pop album. And so it sort of underperformed when it was first released as a single. And then Little Red Corvette was such a huge hit that they re-released 1999 and turned that into a smash <laughs> as well. Right. You know, it, 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 it's hard to kind of overemphasize how much of a shift uh, this song in particular, the single in particular was in his uh, crossover trajectory. Yeah. And it, it didn't go to number one. So it wasn't like it was a number one hit, but I, I think it just didn't, it endured a long time. So it was right. popular for a long time, even though it never was the number one song in the country, but there's a lot of instances where number one songs do not, equate uh longevity or um, lasting impact and so a song like this which didn't hit number one uh 
so okay fine it didn't it didn't reach the number one spot so we can't mm-hmm. claim little red corvette was a number one hit but i think it was a top 10 song or you know at least in the on the charts for for a long period of time and it really permeated pop culture um also because it was one of the first music videos played on mtv by a black artist so it has uh, a lot of significance for that reason along with uh, michael jackson so the two of them and uh, uh, you know i'm sure that's probably why there was this um this media probably manufactured uh, rivalry between the two because all of a sudden white artist white artist white artist on mtv and boom these two men show up and they're creating pop music in the same kind of um in the same atmosphere and and, and in the same lane of right. black artists producing crossover pop music with you know some r&b and some rock elements to it and, and enough to enough variety in in the styles that they were making that it could it could cross over in a number of different avenues and and different styles of uh, radio formatting. Yeah. So they were both doing that, and so I get it. I get why the rivalry was there, even if it was mostly manufactured by the media. Yeah, and uh, just your when you were talking about where Little Red Corvette was in the in the charts, this kind of gave me an idea. So I mean, just. I don't want to take up too much time, but just real quick, I, out of curiosity, I looked up what the sort of year-end Hot 100 singles of 1983 were. Uh, at the end of 1983, Little Red Corvette was at number 25. So, you know, it was this was not a, it was a top 10 hit in terms of when it, where it peaked, but it was not, you know, at the end of the year, it was not a top 10 hit. But I mean, if you look at the songs that were that are sort of above Little Red Corvette. I mean, it's interesting because I feel like in terms of cultural importance and sort of mind share and how it has stood the test in time, um, I mean, Little Red Corvette has, I, I think it it transcends the chart placement because, you know, above Little Red Corvette, you had Africa by Toto, which is, I mean, you know, it, it's it's obviously people people know it. It's kind of like a meme, but it's not. Yeah. I don't think anybody would say that Africa is uh, is Little Red Corvette level. You know, uh, pop brilliance. Um, right. You've got "She Blinded Me with Science" by Thomas Dolby, which again is sort of like a sort of like a joke. Um, I, I mean, Twilight Zone by Golden Earring was number nineteen. I don't even know. I, I can't even think of the only Golden Earring song I can think of is, is "Radar Love." Yeah, uh, no, I don't try that zone. It's a doon 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 Oh, okay. That does sound that does sound familiar. <laughs> uh, it's a good song, but it's no little red Corvette. <laughs> right. Shame on the Moon by Bob Seeger and the Silver Bullet Band. I mean, again, that's not uh that's not the song that comes to mind when I think Bob Seeger. Um, you know, there's just a lot of uh yeah. Total Eclipse of the Heart was number six. I mean, do oh, we, yeah, we rate Total weird. Eclipse of the Heart above Little Red Corvette? Obviously, I'm biased, but I don't know. Um, Down Under by Men at Work is number four. I mean, that song is much more dated. Like it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it, it's. I, I think that um, beyond the charts, this song had a, a, a kind of more lasting appeal than um, than you can get purely from looking at how how big it was, you know, at the time in terms of sales. Yeah, it, it does, and that also has been one of one of the things that Prince really gave to us as. Um, music fans is music that while 
it is of a time. It also is timeless in the fact that I think that print Little Red Corvette doesn't sound nearly as dated as a lot of the songs that you had mentioned. Um, right. Even though it, it incorporates and uses uh, musicality and technology that has been surpassed. Uh, obviously, I mean, 1982 technology is not going to still be used in, in the 2019. Right. But the style of how the music was was written and um, using a lot of the, the most advanced technology at the time in a way that nobody had been doing it before still makes it sound very unique and interesting to listeners today. Uh, if it was the same style of of technology use that a lot of artists were doing, like there's there's a you have a sound like the New Jack Swing sound that Prince was using in the early '90s, and and unfortunately, I think a lot of that sounds more dated than this because so <laughs> many other artists were using that same style. Well, nobody else was really doing and creating music just like this in 1982, 1983. And that's right. where I think the biggest difference was. Right. For me. Yeah. A lot of people had the same synthesizers and the same drum machines, but the way Prince was using them was just on an entirely different level. Exactly. So this is a, a song in a long line of, I guess, um, car and, and women analogies. <laughs> right. <laughs> you, know, like, you know, you got your little, I was just writing down a few of that came off the top of my head. I could think of like Little Deuce Coop from the mm-hmm. Beach Boys, Mustang Sally's another one. Um, I, in a very early example, would have been Chuck Berry with Maybelline. So it's not like this is the first time where Prince broke any ground in in writing a song where uh, automobiles and women were being used interchangeably. Right. As, <laughs> as uh, analogies for each other. Right. I think he might have been a little more anatomically specific. That might be where his <laughs> innovation was. <laughs> yeah, those other examples are are, are more general. Right. <laughs> and what Prince was doing by by calling it a red Corvette. And, right. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, for sure, I would agree with that. It's a little more anatomical, and <laughs> which is also where the, the line straddling really, really occurs right there with, with the name of the song and what he's mostly referring to or what we have to imply that he's referring to uh, he never comes out and says it but there's right. there's too many lines in this song that we'll get to that uh you just can't you can't ignore yeah. <laughs> what he's saying there when you're trying to figure out the the real the real meaning of the song and what, what he's referring to so yeah it's basically a song about a one-night stand it's it's more or less a story song which are always fun for me mm-hmm. for a lot of listeners i think and though, yeah, also equestrian imagery. <laughs> there's there's right. equal amounts almost equestrian imagery in this song as there is automobile imagery. So I think there's a there's a a mixture there going on that isn't typical when you have these car songs, these cars, right. sex songs mixed together. You don't get that. You don't get the horses and jockeys <laughs> and trojans and yeah, uh, pocketful of horses and all these other style and that's just not uh, something that's been typical and certainly hadn't been done before in a Prince song. <laughs> it's very odd actually when I was so I, I uh, recently wrote about Little Red Corvette that's one of the most recent songs that I, I wrote about on, on my project um, I, my blog and 
it was sort of like until I went in and really thought about it, I it, I didn't I didn't really make the connection that yeah, there's almost or possibly equal amounts, like you said, of horse imagery mm-hmm. as as Karim. And we think of Little Red Corvette, obviously, because of the title, as a car song. And it's very strange that there's also this recurring uh, horse language <laughs> in this song. And I think it's sort of a, a testament to like how well the song holds together that we don't stop and think about how weird it is. Um, and it's sort of... I, I The connection that I ended up making... You know, Prince, part of the story of this song is that Prince was uh, driving around in his keyboard player, Lisa Coleman of, you know, Wendy and Lisa. Uh, She had a a vintage 1964 Mercury, um, so not a red Corvette, but it was a, a pink Mercury. And he would borrow it from her and he was, you know, just sort of like driving around after a late night recording session dozed off in the front seat um uh, presumably not while he was driving uh and (laughs) (laughs) and um this song sort of came to him in a dream and when when you think about it that way it's like we're we're dealing with dream logic here and that there is like a there's a surrealness uh to especially the the first couple of verses of this song that to me feels very dreamlike um you know the way that these that these symbols and metaphors shift and, you know, one second you're talking about a car and the next second in, in the, the car is a metaphor for the, for the girl, but there's also, you know, a metaphor the, uh, for a, a horse, you know, <laughs> like it's right. it, these, these symbols are, are, are constantly sort of shifting in, in, in meaning in a way that we just sort of accept, uh, you know, similar to how, when you're dreaming, um, maybe when you sit down, when you wake up and you try to write down what happened in the dream, it might not make much logical sense, but the emotional logic feels, uh, you know, believable. Yeah. There's typically not a straight path from one event to the next in a dream. Like somehow you go from one place to another or one event to another, but you have no idea how or why that that shift happened in your dream. It all feels like one dream, but how did that happen? How did I go from here to there? And how did it change? How did this person change from from this to that in your dreams? And so, yeah, you're right. The 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 mixture of imagery in this song does lend it to being more of like a um, a, a dream state uh, written in a dream state, or at least uh, a lot of the thoughts and in lines in this song that don't seem to line up, they don't seem to match what we're talking about, and then making the shift. It does it does lead you to think that that was how it was created or at least uh, uh, parts of it. Right. And it's funny because it's 1999 where he literally talks about dreaming. Yeah. Know, dreaming when I wrote this, uh, you know, um, says that twice in two in both verses. That's how he leads off verses in that song is I was dreaming when I wrote this, but he doesn't mention dreaming once in the song, even though it was written <laughs> uh, <laughs> after, you know, or based off of, uh, thoughts that he had from a dream. Guess I should know by the way you parked your car sideways at a wooden mask. So you're the kind of person that believes in making out once, love them and leave them fast. I guess I must be done. Shed a pocket full of horses, children, and some of them used. But it was Saturday night, I 
Okay, so the leading verse starts off the song with the, with the phrase, I guess I should have known by the way you parked your car sideways that it wouldn't last. And we, you know, the first two words that he says in this song is, I guess. Mm-hmm. And that's not the last time he'll say, I guess. And we'll right. get to several of those, but I just find it interesting. If you're listening to this song, you know, his songwriting um, was was doing that quite a bit at the time, like repeating of phrases, repeating of words to kind of tie uh, tie verses together, tie like a concept of a song, tying things together from the standpoint of verses to choruses, or the, or the, at least the, um, the song structure in a very similar way by using words to, to kind of evoke the uh, what had previously been written, so you can make the connection between the lines in the song, like okay, I guess I should have known, or I guess I must be dumb. Or I guess I should have closed my eyes. So each one of these lines, he leads various uh, stanzas or verses with them. And I think it's just kind of a, a kind of a cool thing that he was doing at the time. Um, yeah. Similar to how he did, you know, I was dreaming when I wrote this and did that a couple times in 1999. Right. Yeah, it's a it's a literary device, um, you know, and and it it's a way to kind of tie these verses together um in you know subtly and and not and not overtly um it it feels very you know very literary very poetic um not really your standard i I mean you know all kinds of pop songs do this as well but there's but 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 something something about this feels this this feels more like a Joni Mitchell kind of pop song than than you know your standard uh verse chorus like just putting in words that sound nice when you sing them kind of <laughs> that yeah. school of pop songwriting you know this is uh, this is somewhere this is somewhere between uh your typical top 40 pop song and like a like a work of uh quote unquote literature mm-hmm. yeah and what by doing that by leading several lines in the song with the with the phrase i guess it kind of tells me that he's a bit the character the the protagonist in the song the subject uh is a bit uncertain right about what's going on about his his decision making uh <laughs> questioning his decision making skills with this woman that we'll get to but He's like questioning himself, questioning what he's doing. Is he a bit over his head with this woman? Right. I guess I should have known by the way you parked your car sideways that it wouldn't last. So right off the bat, he's telling us that he pretty much knows that this is going to be a one night stand. Yeah. Um, that line right there just instantly tells us that at least he's self-aware enough to know that what the events in, that are going to occur in this song, at least he's doing it well. He also... Because it's in the past tense. He's saying it in past tense. I should have known that it wouldn't last. So I don't know how you read that line. I'm kind of thinking that it's almost like he's writing the song um, in retrospect. And so maybe he went into this with his with different intentions or different thoughts. But looking back on it, he's saying, what was I thinking? Of course I should have known. Right. That it wouldn't last based off of you know her actions or her whatever the way she parked her car sideways <laughs> right <laughs> whatever that means yeah that's such a great like detail it's one of those it's one of those kind of like 
it's a detail that uh, seems to say so much more than than just the words. You know, it it implies. Um, I mean, any, anything like it. I I I couldn't even begin to interpret how how you know the way she parked her her car would be a a sign that this relationship is not going to work but um you know you can you can read so much more you you can tell that there's more of a story there than what he gives us and i think that that's a that's kind of a mark of of really rich storytelling when you know you can use a couple of words to imply so much more um, and yeah, I agree. This does this. This feels like a like looking back on something that has happened and reflecting. It's a it's a reflective song. It's a sort of um, you know, it's it's sort of a, a a regretful song, not in the sense that like uh, you know, not in the sense that he regrets this relationship or this one night stand um you know however we want to put it um it feels like sort of a one that got away song and to some extent you know um he's still there's there's still like feelings there um i don't know how much this is kind of a can of worms and i i i want to stress that i you know i try not to close off uh, interpretation. I try not to like settle on one meaning for sure. for a song. Um, but there is a woman. Her name is uh, his is Mailing Stone Pool, and um, she has a reasonably credible uh, story that she is the inspiration for Little Red Corvette. She did. She and Prince did date in um, you know from like 1979 to 1980. There's um, there's various uh, details in the song, some of which uh, she has spoken to directly, some of which, you know, she's kind of like she's writing a book. So she's like saving it for the book. Um, so, you know, it's an incomplete uh, ev- even if we were to say, yes, this is it. This is this is the this is the woman. Um, she's the the little red Corvette has spoken. You know, we still don't know all of the details. And again, I I don't like I, I don't like closing off interpretation for for a work of art, even if there is one you know particular story that inspired it. But if we are going to take uh, May Langstone Pool's word for it, then what you described is exactly what this song is. Looking back at a past relationship in retrospect, um, you know this would have happened three years before he wrote the song, and so he's had the benefit of some time to to think about it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I mean, I read the same probably article or comments from her that, you know, it was inspired based on, and, you know, he, she had allegedly had pictures of jockeys on her wall. Right. Was, you know, artwork, not like <laughs> it wasn't, I don't believe it was intended to be like pictures of her exes that just right. all happened. <laughs> that, that, but they were literally jockeys, you know, and uh, we haven't gotten to that line yet, but um, that's, that's a really interesting line. We'll get there. But the next lines in this verse, so you're the kind of person that believes in making out once, love them and leave them fast. So that speaks to, you know, the one night stand, somebody who is really just in it for a good time, um, moving on from from one relationship to the next very quickly, uh, just having a lot of fun, I guess, and not really considering uh, each of these instances as as dating or relationships and more of just having a good time, having fun with these men. And then I guess I must be dumb because he had a pocket full of horses, Trojan, and some of them used. 
Okay, so that line also <laughs> is one of those really borderline straddling, um, being explicit, it, it almost too explicit for radio, but right. But at the same time, it's not like he's saying she had a bunch of condoms in her pocket and right. <laughs> and some of them. I mean, just the way that he says the song and the line, pocket full of horses. Mm. Uh, so, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's done in a way that allows it to be played on the radio, but still to anybody paying attention knows exactly what he's talking about. Yeah, and this is the same guy who, in the previous song, had said he's got a lion in his pocket. You know, so uh, <laughs> like there, there is a, there's a, there's a precedent for 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 pocket animals in 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 Prince lyrics at this point. <laughs> yeah, and, some um, the- and I, I also do wonder. You know, like obviously we all know that that is this is at least one of the meanings. Um, I will say again, when I wrote my blog, uh, Mei Ling, uh, she commented and, and said, "Well, that's not what you know." Like the Trojan thing is actually it's referring it's it's referring to something else. Um, but I mean, I, I think that all of us have to re- given the information that we have in front of us, uh, we have to reasonably conclude that this is at least one of the interpretations, one of the implications that this line has. And um, I think Prince was too was too good a writer to. Um, to to include something like this and it doesn't and and it and and not intend for it to evoke condoms you know um so uh, uh but but I do think that, that it's kind of smart because in the 80s I was I wasn't a, I, I wasn't alive in 1982 but I'm but I'm fairly sure that you know nowadays if you watch MTV they have advertisements for 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 Trojans, you know, everybody knows what a Trojan is. I think in the eighties, it was a little bit, you had to have, you know, actually been browsing the shelves at the drugstore um, for, you know, you had to know what you were looking for. I, I don't think, you know, kids didn't know who Trojan man was in 1982. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a little bit, I, I think that's one way that he was sort of able to get past the censors with this, with this line. Yeah, yeah, understanding the audience and knowing that the vast majority of listeners were not going to pick up on that that hidden meaning or that alternate meaning. So yeah, you're right. I think I mean I was alive but I was very young, but my my understanding and, and memories serve me correctly. I think, you know, you might see a condom ad in a in a Playboy magazine or something. Right. So, somewhere where adults were looking at it anyway. They weren't targeting these types of advertisements to teenagers or uh, adolescents. Not that, you know, they are today, but nowadays you can you could find them all over the place. And it's a lot easier for younger people to to access those types of uh, advertisements if then also there's there's a lot more talk about it in general about safe sex and there has been since basically the 90s or at least right, the 80s right. during the AIDS scare so it's been part of uh it's been part of just uh, safe sex and and sex education for for you know past few decades now right right past couple yeah this is a i i do also just want to say this line this trojan that you know it's a condom it, it, it's a condom but it's also like this is a line that doesn't really stand up to heavy scrutiny because it, if you, if you think about it as a, as a condom, and if you think most of us, when we say use condom, we don't mean the wrapper, right? I, I have to imagine that that's what he means here though, because otherwise right. it's like, 
who is this lady? <laughs> you know, yeah, like, because yeah. a used condom is not something that you want in your pocket. Uh, I mean, that's like a really, it just opens up a whole like other disgusting, uh, you know, like public health issue, really. Uh, <laughs> and so this is kind of, this is a line that trips me up. It's like, I get what he's saying, but it's also, it's a little bit like, you know, like Jack you off. We talked about before. It's one, it, it kind of, you can go down a rabbit hole when, when you think about this too much. <laughs> no, and then most people, I think, like you said, when they hear the term used condom, they're not, like you said, referring to a rapper. So if you're taking these lyrics literally, that that opens up a whole mess of questions about this woman <laughs> and, and what she's up to and what the <laughs> hell is her, what the hell is she thinking? <laughs> yeah. Maybe she's just very environmentally, uh, you know, like maybe there wasn't a, a trash can nearby and she's just like <laughs> really anti-littering. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. And, uh, I guess I should have known by the way that she had used condoms in her pocket that uh, right. I should just turn around and walk away. <laughs> that is absolutely a red flag. So, <laughs> <laughs> so we, have to assume that that isn't what it was because right. who in their right mind would <laughs> a do that and b think that this is a person with of of sound mind that right. i should spend the night with <laughs> all right well that's the first first so we've already got uh, an interesting parked your car sideways line that really could be interpreted any way you want but it does certainly open up the conversation about um metaphors and and what did what do they mean what are the hidden meanings behind the lyrics of the song and as you said we can't really definitively nor do we want to definitively put a stamp on it and say this is the meaning you know end of right. story because that's that's no first of all it's no fun right I, songs that have multiple meanings and again can be interpreted in many ways are in my opinion going to always stand taller than songs that mean one thing and one thing only and uh because if you're not into that one thing that that song is talking about you're just gonna tune it out yeah so then he says it was saturday night i guess that makes it all right and you say what have i got to lose so this i take this just prince saying throwing caution to the wind essentially right. and and saying well it's saturday night so it's um and that whether or not literally it was saturday night or just meaning it's it's a night to to go out and have some fun so i might as well just go with the flow here and 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 go home with this woman right. what have i got to lose it's interesting what a passive role he takes in this song and i think that that's kind of um it's one of those things that i mean especially in in early in, in prince's early music he was unafraid of um presenting himself as uh the passive um, person in the in in the you know sexually and um, in the relationship, which is which is in in contrast to certainly the way that I think most um, rock and R and B men the the image that they preferred to project. You know, mm -hmm. I think Prince is the only artist I can think of, um, certainly at that time, who as a man would would put out a song called do me baby you know um it, 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 he he wasn't afraid to be the one who's who's being who's being done you know um which is there's a whole there's a lot of uh like masculinity wrapped up in that um and so i i, yeah, I think it's worth pointing out that i mean this is really he's not uh this isn't a conquest story and if it is a conquest story then he's the one being sort of conquered yeah it's her conquest story right 
she's the one that's calling the shots. And uh, for the most part, like you said, he's just along for the ride and he's going along with it because what has he got to lose? Yeah. So apparently and there's enough that he sees in her that makes her makes him want to go home with her. And you sort of get the impression that he feels a little bit used, uh, which is, again, you know, not something uh, not not something that you typically see from a, you know, a, a heterosexual man at this at this point in um, in masculinity, in the history of masculinity. You know, this is uh, a confession that is that is um, fairly interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And the chorus, he goes, I say, little red Corvette, baby, you're much too fast. Little red Corvette. You need a love that's going to last. So at this point, if we're taking, if, if we're implying that this song is written kind of looking back at this relationship or this encounter, and he, if he is feeling a little used, which I certainly agree with. I mean, there's enough, there are enough lines in this song that, that uh, uh, lend validity to that, to that thought process. He's, at this point, I don't want to say he's admonishing her for for how cavalier she's being with her sex partners, but at the same time, he kind of is. Right. Uh, he's yeah. much too fast. <laughs> yeah. So uh, there's no way around saying, like, if you call a woman fast, you're right. basically telling her that she's having, she's, I mean, not in so many words, but she's a whore. You know, she's. Uh, maybe it's a nicer way of saying that. Right, sure, right. But. Yeah, it's a, it's a sort of a euphemistic way. But yeah, we would call it slut shaming now, I think. Absolutely, we would. Absolutely. <laughs> and I wouldn't, I, I don't necessarily, you know, I, I don't want to accuse this song of it. I, I don't necessarily think that that's all it is. I think there's a little more to it than that. But I, there's definitely a dimension. Uh, there's a There's an element of conservatism in this song. You know, um, I, I think that this that this woman whoever it whoever it might have been based on if anyone um was maybe a little um too sexually forthright and aggressive for prince's tastes <laughs> you know mm-hmm. i think he was a little taken aback and um and that's that's part of that's that's part of what's going into this song yeah i mean he suggests that she needs a love that's going to last but that's not really for him to <laughs> right. really for him to say. <laughs> yeah. You know, and that's just his opinion, man. <laughs> yeah. Guess I should close my eyes when you drove me to the place where your horses run free. I felt a little ill when I saw all the pictures of the jockeys that were there before me. Believe it or not. Um, the next verse, I guess I should have closed my eyes when you drove me to the place where your horses run free. Because I felt a little ill when I saw all the pictures of the jockeys that were there before me. And so there we got the, the jockey line. So I guess I should have closed my eyes when you drove me to the place where your horses run free. Here we've got the horse imagery again being mm-hmm. called out. Well, we've got a couple ones here with the horses run free and all the, of course, the jockeys. Uh, so jockeys, I think... That I like that line a lot because so if he's implying that these jockeys are former boyfriends, former partners of hers, and why she still has pictures of them on her walls, I don't know. But but if it's truly inspired by his relationship 
with the woman you had mentioned before, and she had pictures of jockeys just as as, as art. You know, you can look at that and think the drawing the inspiration for that, and then using that to mean something completely different. Right. And in the in the in the context of this song, uh, all of a sudden, I just get imagery of a, you know, and uh, this song and Darling Nikki, in in many ways for me, evoke a lot of the same imagery in my yeah. head when i think of yeah. the songs like this this man who is just brought to this woman's lair almost you know <laughs> right. uh this this sex layer of hers and i'm not at darling nikki yet so we'll, but we'll get to it but i think that there's a lot of similar um a lot of similar uh, ideas being fleshed out in these two songs right so I, i'm imagining you know prince being driven to this woman's house or apartment or wherever she's at but horses run free and i think of myself thinking that she <laughs> she literally lives on a farm with all yeah. these horses <laughs> right. and that was my youthful thought of this song when i would hear that line like oh cool she lives on a farm she yeah. has horses <laughs> what do you think of that particular line when you drove me to the place where your horses run free i yeah i think uh, again it's it, this is kind of it, it's taking the it's taking the previous verses you know horse trojan it could have been this kind of throwaway one time thing or like you know this kind of like sort of dirty double entendre and he's turning it into a motif um you know i i think it adds even though it's still basically a dirty double entendre because if a if a if a condom is a horse then the guy putting the condom on is a jockey, you know, and then also you can, yeah. of course, like the whole horse and riding and, you know, there's a whole, there's a whole tradition <laughs> there. Uh, so I, I mean, I'm not saying that this is like, uh, you know, elevated uh, poetry, but, but I mean, we're, we are, we are still, we're, we're, it's another level of complexity. Like at this point he's, he's carrying on the metaphor um, th- into multiple verses and it's and it's it's taking on you know sort of a sort of a deeper meaning and um yeah this is it is an odd uh line you know horses run free you do kind of picture like a like a prairie or you know like a like a wide sweeping open space you know it's like western (laughs) imagery Mm -hmm. uh you don't necessarily picture um somebody's apartment in the twin cities uh but but i mean i think that's part of that's part of what makes it so um evocative and so kind of um you know i I think these i think these lyrics are memorable because they because they connote so much and they you know inspire so many kind of images yeah nowadays when i hear when you drove me to the place where your horses run free, I just think that's, he's just talking about where she lives and where she takes her men back and horses running free can mean where, where uh, she allows her sexuality to be free. Like she's allowing herself to just be free and to have as much good times with these men as she possibly can, because that is, that is how she's living her chooses to live her life. And um, so she's, the horses and, and the way I think of it now is more of her, like her, her sexuality. Yeah. So, it's just one way of looking at it. Uh, believe it or not, I started to worry. I wondered if I had enough class before he gets into the Saturday night, I guess that makes it all right. 
and uh, he switches up the lines here, but starting to worry and wonder if he had enough class. So I don't know if uh, the pictures of the jockeys he's looking at <laughs> in this in this the imagery that's being um, brought forth with these lines. If he's thinking to himself, "Wow, the, you know, some of these guys look." maybe maybe better than I do or or maybe they have more money than I do or you know they come from a background that is more wealthy or high society and so he's wondering if he really fit, should fit in with the 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 long list of quote unquote jockeys that this woman is seeing is that kind of what you think like he's just wondering like is this is he is he worthy yeah, am I good enough? You know, that's yeah. kind of the underlying. And I, I think that's part of why, you know, we mentioned before that this song has a little bit of a socially conservative undercurrent to it. And I think part of why it doesn't rub me the wrong way or I don't think like, oh, this is totally sexist, you know, or or whatever is, is because he, this is not the attitude of somebody who thinks less of a woman for having, you know, multiple partners. Um, mm-hmm. You know, this is not somebody who, who like, like, especially the use of the word class is so interesting because you contrast, like, if, if you're the kind of person who says that a, a, a woman who has slept with, you know, however many men in the past is, is too fast or is loose or, you know, whatever kind of like euphemisms that we want to use, um, you're, you, you don't describe that woman as classy, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah, right. so it, it's such an interesting choice of words and it, and it speaks to me that this is, this is a personal insecurity. It's like, can I measure up to these men? Which is, which is different than, oh, you know, this girl's a dirty slut. I can do whatever I want to her, you know, like that. It's a very different kind of attitude. And I think that is what kind of puts it on the side to me of being okay. You know, he's intimidated, uh, which I think is a relatable, I mean, certainly for me, <laughs> it's a, it's a relatable feeling. And I think, um, it's a side of Prince that we don't see as much of, uh, later in his career when he gets older, gets more confident, you know, like, uh, after, after 1999, you know, after, after he becomes this big star, I don't think Prince had much cause <laughs> to doubt himself, you know, um, certainly with women, and, yeah. um, and so, but, but I mean, this is still, we're still, this is a young man and young men have a lot of insecurities. And, um, I think that this, this, these, those lines really evoke that, that feeling. Yeah, absolutely. And a lot of it is probably due to true and real life insecurities that he may have had at the time being so young and, uh, also maybe not having as much experience with, you know, with women, although, by 1982, he probably did, but yeah. But it's, at the same time, it's not like it's a switch that gets flipped overnight in any person. It's not like one day they wake up like, oh, now I'm so I'm I'm a super confident man, right? Uh, it, it, it's gradual. It happens over time, and so right. even if he had, you know, a number of relationships up to that point with, um, with women, he he certainly probably was still developing and growing uh, as a as a as an adult and as a as a man so it it's not it wouldn't be un unheard of for these types of insecurities to still uh kind of bubble up to the surface every now and then especially in a in a song that he's writing about a woman who 
who probably has more experience than him sexually and um, and may may be living in a different lifestyle that he's not familiar with or hasn't dealt with with his other girlfriends. So he doesn't really know if he can measure up. And, and that's that's a concern for him. Yeah. <clears throat> so it was Saturday night. I guess that makes it all right. And you say, baby, have you got enough gas? The car metaphor finally finally comes back. It's like he it's like he remembered. Oh, yeah, I got to Let's get it back from the horses. <laughs> you know, this is a car song, not a horse yep. song. <laughs> yep, and that's you know it's it's a pretty it's a it's a fun line. I don't really think there's much to say with that one. Maybe I haven't got enough gas. Once again, I when I listen to that line because she's saying it, baby, right. have you got enough gas? Basically, can you keep up with me? <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's sort of you think about it. I, I mean, this is sort of also the voice that he was using for Vanity Six around the same time. You know the 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 person in the story with the kind of sexual bravado uh is is the woman and you know this is this is very sort of similar to that like that nasty girl vanity persona Mm -hmm. you know can you measure up um because i i am definitely good for it but the the question is can you handle me trying to think of the line and oh yeah yeah when you're done yeah (laughs) yeah wake me when you're done i guess You'll be the only one having fun. Right. <laughs> what a snotty line that is. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So then he goes back into the chorus. And after the chorus, uh, which is the same as it was before, Little Red Corvette, baby, you're much too fast. Yes, you are. Little Red Corvette, you need to find a love that's going to last. And then at, we get this um, guitar solo, which, you know, in the lyrics podcast, you don't cover guitar solos too often. But uh, you, you can't not talk about the guitar solo in Little Red Corvette, A, right. because it's amazing, and B, because it's not by Prince. Right, <laughs> so right. It's and it's very important. It's an important guitar solo. I think, um, yeah. you know, I've I've... I've seen it argued that it's a big reason why this song kind of broke through on pop radio. Cause I, I mean, one thing it's, we've talked about this as like a crossover song. I think it's worth pointing out that, you know, this is a song with a big pop chorus. Um, but it's to me, this song, I mean, the, you know, the, the, like the divisions between genres and between black music and white music are all kind of bullshit anyway. But um, if we're going to kind of talk about those divisions, this, I, I don't hear this song and think, oh, I have no idea what race this person is. You know, this is, this is a soulful song. It sounds like a black mm-hmm. guy singing. Um, it doesn't, this doesn't sound like a, you know, this isn't a, like a Lionel Richie song where it feels like, um, the, the sort of roots in black music are being sacrificed for mainstream acceptability, but so the but what makes it quote unquote rock and not R&B is maybe the chorus and definitely the guitar solo and so it seems like a seems like a strategic choice for him to give it to Dez who has more of a rock style Prince's guitar style is a little more bluesy it's a little more um I mean again like I, I hate how talking about this kind of stuff makes you sound so like essentialist, but you know, Prince's style is more quote unquote black 
and Dez's style is more rock, which if we're going to, even though rock is also black music, um, you know, it, it, it sounds more kind of familiar to white listeners in terms of, you know, this sounds like a guitar solo that could be on a, you know, a, this sounds, like this sounds like yeah. I'm dissing him, but yeah, like Van Van Halen is. I was gonna say like Journey. Van Halen is a much better choice. <laughs> <laughs> I don't because you know it's it's also great. Like it's 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 not uh, it, it's it's pop friendly, and uh, and it's and it's fantastic. Yeah, and rock was rock was big still in the in the eighties. It was it was pop music. Rock and pop music were synonymous. Right. It's not really the that that's not the case so much anymore and hasn't been for a while, but in the eighties rock and roll was still pop music. Right. And, um, and adding that guitar solo to the song really made it palatable. I think for a lot of, uh, radio stations and playlist creators and curators to say, all right, well, this song is going to, I can, I can play this in you know, a rural, uh, radio station pop radio station because it has a sound that is still relatable to a lot of the listeners of this station i don't want to alienate everybody <laughs> by playing songs there's songs that were big in the early 80s but only in certain markets right and if you weren't in that right market even disco like i didn't hear disco much on my radio stations my pop radio stations growing up in the early 80s because i think um, disco was already starting to fade out, but also it, it was mostly created by black musicians mm-hmm. and same with R and B. And, and that was just, it, the demographics weren't there. This song got radio play where I grew up in a very rural part of Wisconsin because I, and I don't want to say just because of the guitar solo, but <laughs> certainly didn't hurt. It's just right. Bad. And it has a little bit, I, I think it's a little bit of hangover from the disco backlash, too. You know, um, I think in 1982, if you're uh, like <laughs> Joe Sixpack or if you're like a, you know, more more likely if you're like a teenager, a white teenager in the suburbs, um synthesizers are gay <laughs> you know like uh <laughs> yeah. uh guitars are not gay so like th- i think the fact that i think that was a big a way of prince being able to sneak uh you know r&b and dance and electronic uh music into suburban boys consciousness is by also having a guitar and that was a huge part of his strategy with the revolution and with purple rain and this is sort of not the beginning because i i think you can actually trace back prince adopting rock band tropes you can trace that back all the way to dirty mind you know the inner sleeve of dirty mind he's very careful even though this is basically just him in the studio he shows the whole band and they look like you know punks or like new waivers and it's like this is a rock band, you know. Don't worry, this is this isn't disco. This isn't one guy in the studio with a producer. This is a band. We play real instruments. Um, you know, you can see us on stage. That we're we're rock and roll. Yeah. Um, and this feels like the next stage of that. You know, not only having a guitar solo, so that 
white guys in Wisconsin or Michigan or Ohio or wherever will feel comfortable with their sexualities listening to it. Uh, but also the guitar solo isn't played by Prince. You know, he's got a band and this is his this is his guitarist. Um, you know, it all of it is kind of framing it in a way that makes people who wouldn't be comfortable with producer bound, you know, dance and soul music. You know, this is the it's presented in a rock framework. Yeah, he plays a front man in the video. That's all he does. He's he's the singer. Right. So if you're thinking of it in that same context, that's his band are the musicians. And Prince is just the front man. He's the singer. He's the David Lee Roth. He's the uh you know, the the showman, the guy up front that can do the splits and and make all these crazy dance moves and has right. this voice that can go all over the place. But oh, that guy over there, he's the one playing the guitar. That right. guy over there is playing, you know, the drums, and you got a woman in that back there doing keyboards, and you got a bass player. So it made it feel like he was just the fa- he was the pretty face on this band, <laughs> yeah, Prince. And uh, right. that's how I always thought it was for the longest time. I mean, it didn't take that long for me to figure out Prince was a person and not a band name, but that was my first impression or my first assumption that I made was Prince was the name of the band. And he was just the front man. He was the star of the band. And obviously I was wrong, but it didn't take long to get that corrected. Um, so that after that guitar solo goes into a little bit of a like a verse, another verse. A body like yours ought to be in jail because it's on the verge of being obscene. Move over, baby. Give me the keys. I'm going to try to tame your little red love machine. So the first two lines, a body like yours ought to be in jail because it's on the verge of being obscene. It's it's interest has an interesting sound because it's like his his vocals are double tracked and they're not on top of each other. They're like one is delayed a little bit so mm. it's, it's lagging behind a bit so it sounds like almost like it's an echo of prince uh, i always liked that it made it sound just made it made it more interesting i guess and and gave a little more um edginess to to the sound of those yeah. lines because he's saying basically at this point now he's being the objectifying male <laughs> right. And he, yeah. And he does that later on the song. About, yeah. He got an ass like you've never seen. But here <laughs> he starts to to explain why this woman in this song is is so interesting to him and and was worth going back, even though you know you must be dumb. And I guess guess I should have known that it wasn't going to last. But boy, you know that body <laughs> on the verge of being obscene. So it's <laughs> it's all worth it in the end for him. Yeah. He's, and I'm gonna try to tame your little red love machine. Well, there you get there you get the most um, descriptive, anatomically descriptive uh, explanation of what a little red Corvette actually is in, right. the, in the context of this track. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's definitely the most that that's the part that stands out. Um, I also 
as as being like you know this is kind of dirty i guess um i i also i i, I want to bring up um mailing stonepool one more time because she said something on a she was on um michael dean's podcast like a year or two ago and um that was the first time i kind of heard from her and what she said kind of blew my mind because i never thought you know i'd obviously I, I i was familiar with this song for a long time I, you know, the, the Trojans and the little red love machine, like I get all of that. You know, I was, I was an adult, like, (laughs) you know, it's not like I didn't understand that there was a double meaning here. Um, but you know, she pointed out that she is a light skinned black woman and, you know, it sounds weird for this stuff to be coming out of my very white voice, but you know, in the, in, in, in the black community, women of that color are often referred to as red, you know, or like red bone is a, is a, is a word mm-hmm. that you hear in, in, yeah. in the black community. And um, so whether we accept that it's, that it's her, that the song is about, um, or even like another common um, interpretation is vanity. Uh, who's another, um, you know, light skinned black woman uh, that adds a different, I, when I heard that it was like, my mind was blown. I was like, Oh, like also, we have this like vaginal metaphor or clitoral, you know, like what is the, some, some part of the woman's anatomy is the little red love machine. Right. right. But, but also, you know, the little red Corvette might, that might be a reference to her skin color. Um, and I had never considered that before. And it sort of blew my mind. Um, yeah, no, I hadn't either. And I hadn't, I hadn't heard that podcast. So you just blew my mind. So. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Oh, interesting. Yeah, I've never, I mean, after I became old enough and aware enough to, to interpret that line, I never thought of it in any other way other than it being anatomical. Right. Uh, so that is very interesting. Very interesting. And I apologize for ma- for for making people hear me say the word red bone. I just. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's not a term we use too often, is it? Yeah. <laughs> for good reason. Don't need to. All right. So, yeah, after that line, uh, typically, like, it's around this time, you know, there's another chorus, but this is where the, like, typically the, the, or the radio edit would fade out the song shortly after that. After the Little Red Love Machine, and then he sings the song again, or he sings the chorus again, and then he's got some extra lines where he sings it, and then one of the members of the band repeat after him so he's like little red corvette honey you got to slow down and he got des singing got to slow down mm-hmm. yeah again, little red like corvette. That band yeah because if you image. don't you're gonna run your little corvette right into the ground and then uh you hear lisa singing right to the ground right behind him and that's about the time we get the the fade out the radio fade out and here is where he's once again kind of I don't want to say slut shaming because we already used that term and it's not really doesn't doesn't really it's not super appropriate for the song. I mean, he's kind of doing it, but at the same time, he's just I think you almost get the sense that he cares for her a bit. Right. Like he actually has feelings for her and he's and he just wants her to be happy and healthy and he doesn't. Right. And he has concern. He doesn't feel like the way she's living her life is is going to end up with her being happy and healthy. And he just wants to make sure that she stays safe and, um, you know, and, and, and be, and is happy. And then she's not doing what she's doing because of, um, some addiction or, uh, yeah. for any reason other than that, it's her choice. 
so I've never really felt like it was a slut shaming song. It was more like I care about you and I'm concerned about how you're living your life. Right. If you're gonna, if, you're gonna, if you don't slow down, you're gonna run your little Corvette right into the ground. So maybe you're gonna, you know, catch disease or like the dawn of the AIDS epidemic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of things that one could be thinking about, and also you know, you just the more men you meet, the larger the chance that maybe you're gonna meet a creep that's gonna. Um, you know, do harm to you and right. you know, increase your chances every time you meet somebody new that that person is not going to have your best interests in mind when you take them home to where your horses run free. So yeah, yeah. You know, there's all that as well. I wonder too if there might be an element of uh, self-reproach in this song because it, it's always struck me, you know, going way back to the first verse um, and we won't stay there for too long. I know we've been talking for a long time, <laughs> but it's always it's always struck me that, you know, that line, you're the kind of person that believes in making out once, love him and leave him fast. You know, like you look at Prince's romantic history. He he he's not a uh, a real uh, one woman man, <laughs> you know, like yeah. it's it's sort of ironic to to see that. um to see him describe a woman that way when 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 he was absolutely sort of a um at best a serial monogamist and i would not even describe that and would describe him as that so I, I you know i wonder if especially later in his career you know you see this song um take on kind of more melancholy undertones as he sort of gets older uh you know he starts working in a a, a new um sort of passage around the the whole slow down piece that has a new melody. And, you know, you see that in, in some of his performances in the, in the 2010s. And, um, I think he still had that little like slow down coda, um, on the piano and a microphone tour. And, um, you know, I almost like me, this is, this is sort of like, uh, this is me being creative, you know, <laughs> yeah. but, but I, but I almost wonder if there was an element of him kind of singing this to his younger self a little bit too, you know, is, is, is he also the little red Corvette? Yeah. Yeah. That's an interesting, interesting uh, thought about this song because you're right. I mean, he, either he was being really hypocritical or he also saw something in his, in himself, like his own desires and his own, uh, failings as uh, a man who couldn't stay faithful or didn't want to right. uh, for long because it's just kid in a candy store. I'm a rock star. I can have whoever I want, and uh, I'm going to I'm going to take advantage of that. And and even when he was in relationships, like you said, they don't they didn't necessarily last. And so he's talking about in the song, you need a you need a love that's going to last. And it took him a long time. Took him long time before he was in a relationship that as far as we know uh lasted and was monogamous and then right. I'm referring to to Maite, I have to right right assume. yeah <clears throat> so yeah you're right i mean the way the way the song was was um sung and, and performed later on in his career it did have that more melancholy look at it and as an as an older man looking back on himself sure he could have taken a different meanings behind it and just thinking about that so uh, yeah that's interesting i like that take um so yeah then after that, that part you know typically the rest of the song is not what you hear on the radio but if you've of course are listening to the record or um you know 1999 album itself you're going to get these last couple of uh stanzas with 
you know, a couple of choruses, and but you got that breakdown where he says, and this is where his the, the vocal, his vocalization and his vocal skills just you can't not be impressed by how he yeah. sings these lines. Girl, you got an ass like I've never seen. And the ride, I say the ride is so smooth, you must be a limousine. And that is, if I could sing it the way he could sing this, these lines. Oh yeah, we wouldn't, wouldn't be recording be a podcast. I wouldn't we'd be doing be... this podcast. <laughs> yeah. um, I would be out there performing yeah. because it's fucking amazing. Yeah. And just the way he draws out the the, the word ass. Right. And well, girl, just right off the stop, girl, you know, I'm not going to mm. try to do it because I can't, uh, obviously. <laughs> so he says girl and, and just the way he starts that line off and then he goes from lower register to upper register. Like it's like a roller coaster, these lines. And then and then smooth the way he draws out the word smooth and then basically sing screams. You must be a limousine. Mm. It's all just hair raisingly chilling in its yeah. skill and technical skill and singing ability and uh i get yeah i literally get chills when i hear those lines every single time because it just the way he does it is just a way that only prince could sing that song and anybody else tries to do it is just gonna fall flat they just can they will not be able to right right yeah um i think if there was any doubt that he is still an r&b artist this that this little section uh, we'll put that doubt to rest. You know, he has not, he, he might be, he might be in the top 40, but he has not sold out, you know, like this is still, he still has that gospel background and he's, you know, he's still very much, um, drawing from the black musical tradition. And I think, um, he delivers it so well that, uh, you don't even mind that the metaphor is bad because, <laughs> you know, he says little red Corvette, you must be a lim- limousine. Like that's, that's, that's not great. You know, <laughs> like compared to the rest, <laughs> he's yeah. comparing this car to another kind of car, another completely different kind of car, like almost opposite, you know, a sports car and a limousine. But, uh, but he gets away with it because it's just, he, the delivery is so good. Yeah, I, I always took it like he's upgrading her. Right. <laughs> yeah. Like she's gotten up. She's gotten an upgrade because she's she's so skilled in bed, and <laughs> um, the sex was so good. She's no longer like this little sports car. She's 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 been upgraded to limousine status. Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I always interpret that line. Like, wow, you know, this was just this was so good that uh, I'm gonna have to give you limousine status, yeah. which <laughs> I guess in Prince's world is top tier. So right. Right. <laughs> so after that, after that, those vocal acrobats in the breakdown, he goes into the chorus again, much too fast. Little red Corvette, you need a love that's going to last. And we get some more of the the wording around, you know, um, or he goes back to the whole slowing down. So this is where he says, "You got to slow down," and then Des follows back behind him. You got to slow down, little red Corvette, because if you don't, you're going to run your body right to the ground. And you get Lisa again 
backing him up right to the ground. And they just repeat that over and over again as the song fades out. And uh, I think the last words are, you hear him say, Little Red Corvette. And that's as the song is it's slow fade out at that point. Mm. Um, and a it does a little bit of a guitar solo again. Yeah, yeah. You get the little bit of the guitar at the end as it's fading uh, with the chorus running your body into the ground. And whenever I hear the, the, the way the song ends with it, right to the ground, right to the ground, that always makes me feel like it's, it's a cautionary tale. Like mm. I, there's a lot of fun happening in the song, a lot of great imagery, but the way it ends, if you would have ended on with uh, the ride so smooth, you must be a limousine. It would have ended more on a high note, like yeah. more a positive note, I guess, because he's just talking about how good the sex was and everything's a, everything's fine. She she's been upgraded, but the way he ends the song with these lines about running her body into the ground. It kind of like brings it on a downer, on a little bit of a downer note. Like he's really cons- back to being concerned about her, and back to basically saying, "Although I really appreciate the skill level that you bring <laughs> into the bedroom, right. I also am still going to tell you I'm concerned about you." And that concern is how the song ends, and it just brings it a little brings it back down. I don't want to say Debbie Downer style, but it certainly <laughs> uh, ha- has that for me when I listen to it. Just yeah. More, it ends on a note where I think of it more as a cautionary tale. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good point. Cause I think at one point in this song, it, there is that shift that we talked about midway through where suddenly, you know, he's no longer sort of the passive participant, you know, now he's a little bit more of your, you know, traditional objectifying, Man, the song, the tone kind of changes. It becomes a little more like celebratory. And I think this does kind of bring it back to that, the the, the more sort of melancholy tone that the song has in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, even the, if it's not necessarily, you might not hear it because, you know, it's, it's this big pop chorus coming to an end. But yeah, I think um, it does, lyric wise, we've kind of gone full circle. Yeah, because whether or not you're listening to the radio edit or you're listening to full album version, I believe both versions end with some sort of or run your body right into the ground. So right, right. it doesn't matter how which version of the song you're listening to, the song ends with like that those, that phrasing and that that cautionary uh, explanation going on, where he's really kind of trying to bring that home and and nail home that point about this song also being about that as well as being about this free woman who uh, is also a very skilled lover. And to me, that's a lot of what Little Red Corvette, whether or not like all the lyrics and all the stuff that we've talked about, that will always for me be what I take away from the song is it being more of a song about a concerned a concerned man, a concerned friend, a concerned lover, whatever he is to this woman, and expressing that concern through this song while also explaining how he, why he's concerned. And what is it, I mean, so where did he get, where did he come to that conclusion that he needs to be concerned about her? Well, because of the stuff that happens in the first couple verses, uh, the experiences that he had, and all of the stuff that he saw, the jockeys and the used Trojans and, you know, all this <laughs> stuff that led him to think that, and also just the way that we have to maybe assume that he was kind of cast aside after their encounter. Right. Uh, maybe he wanted more and she rejected him because 
that's not what she's that's not what she's about and he didn't either he didn't uh, measure up and didn't have enough class for her, or it didn't matter anyway it didn't matter if he had enough class he was enough class for the night and that's all she really wanted right so yeah that's um do you have any final thoughts on little red corvette there's so much to this song i think that this is one of those um you know when i initially signed up for this i i, I was like oh man like i should have i should have asked for 1999 because i, I think it, in a in a in a dead race between these two i think 1999 might be my favorite of the two lyrically but they're both really close like this is a new level for prince he'd written great songs before um you know like he didn't he didn't pop out in 1982-83 fully formed um uh, by any means and i think that your podcast has done a really good job of sort of tracing that trajectory all the way from the very first album you know there's there's stuff that's well worth hearing but i it's undeniable that with 1999 he was on like a totally different level i mean this is a song that can you can put up against um joni mitchell like i mentioned earlier you can put it up against bruce springsteen like any of these artists that are well known for just creating these worlds, these like evocative stories that you could imagine writing a novel about, you know, um, I think this song is in that echelon of songwriting. And um, yeah, I think um, I could probably, even though we've been talking for like an hour and a half almost, I could probably even talk more because this song is just that rich as a as a text. It's it's really just a phenomenal effort. Uh, and I think, you know, we 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 started this uh, episode out talking about how uh, this is one of those Prince songs that you'll hear in the wild. And I think it's going to be that way um, for a long time, at least as long as our generation you know, has any say in it, <laughs> like yeah. maybe, you know, uh, maybe eventually little red Corvette won't be the, this pop standard that it is now. But I, I think that this is one of those songs that is, um, as sort of important and, uh, widely heard and widely appreciated as, you know, like the previous generations, uh, you know, the Beatles, um, it's, it's on that level. Yeah, I don't want to live in a world where nobody gives a shit about Little Red Corvette anymore. Exactly. Yeah. So <laughs> at the very least, yeah. At, until we check out. Um, thank you, uh, Zachary Hoskins. Again, thanks for joining me. Uh, I really appreciate the insights. You definitely gave me a few things to think about on this song that I hadn't thought about before. So that's always kind of for me, and I'm hoping for the, any listeners as well. That is kind of the point. I mean, we always have our own thoughts about songs, but having somebody else bring new uh, theories or at least new ideas to the songs, we can take it, we can accept it, or we can just reject it. That's fine. Right. Uh, and that's, that's the beauty of, of a man who can uh, write songs that have multiple meanings and have mean multiple things to different people because we all are different and we all have different experiences that provide the background for where we're going to and how we're going to interpret lyrics. Uh, and so it's really cool whenever that happens, when somebody else gives me an idea of a song, the uh, gosh, you know, 30, 
38, 37 yeah. years. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez. It doesn't um, feel that long, but no. yeah. <laughs> no. So yeah, it's after hearing the song that many times to learn something new or think about something new is, is the coolest for me. And that's, that's really why I wanted to do this podcast. So yeah. thank you. Appreciate that. And um, I want anybody who uh, is, is also likes to read to check out Zach's blog at princesongs.org because you do a great job of, well, you're a great writer. So you do in just by default, by writing about these songs, it's going to uh, es- elevate, you know, a lot of people's thoughts about the songs that you've already written about. Like I read things off your blog and I'm, I'm all, I'm, I'm learning from that as well. And that's, I'm assuming that's a lot of what you're trying to accomplish with that. Oh yeah, thank yeah, thank you so much, and thank you for having me. It's it's always a it's it's always a lot of fun, and this was this was especially a lot of fun because how could you not have fun talking about this song? So you're right, I love it. Well, this has been the Presser Wine Prince Lyrics Podcast. I've been your host Jason Brenninger, and until next time, thank you. <laughs>